Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Thank you, Joseph. Hi, everybody. It's Casey Cover, your host on Training with Casey. And I would like to talk about targets again. And this time, I want to explore speaking through your targets. And I have six different ways that we can use targets to do other things or to say other things besides defining a behavior. And the first one you've probably seen if you've gone to a zoo or an oceanarium and watch animals being trained or watch their veterinary work. And that is that we can target animals when they're not working, but they're in the same area as other working animals. So let's say it's Popeye's turn to do the show and Jetty and Seaweed are not doing the show, but they're in the same exhibit. And so they need to be kept occupied while Popeye does his work. And they may all work in turns. So Popeye does a couple of things and then Seaweed does some things and then Jetty does some things. And whoever is not being worked can be targeted by other trainers to keep them busy and keep them from interfering with the animals that are working. This is especially important if you're working with a dominant animal because the dominant animal knows that he can harass or bully the other animals into dropping their food, uh, giving him some excitement by running away from him, that kind of thing. So obviously we don't want to have that going on. So we teach all the animals to target and stay where they're supposed to stay. Now the next one is to use a target in a similar way to help an animal get through a challenge. So let's say you have to pull a thorn out of an animal and you explain what you're going to do and you get ready to pull the thorn and then I'll tell the animal, I'm gonna help you through this. They're gonna take the thorn out, it might be some pain, but I'm going to hold on to your left paw and I'm going to squeeze it and tell you good, 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 good. Because now it's done and you did really well. So I can use a target to take the animal's focus off of people or other animals passing by, pain, somebody being too close, having to wait. It's extremely useful. In fact, I actually used this when I took my niece and nephew to the Goddard Space Center. And we could go inside and see the Earth from the satellite orbit. But once we went inside, it would take 45 minutes for that tour. 
And my niece and nephew were about two and three at the time. And so I explained to them, you know, how long that this was and so on, and that we would listen to these people tell us about everything. And if they stayed really quiet and cooperative, we would be able to see the earth from out in space. Do you want to do this? So they both said yes. We always like to get buy-in, right? So then as we were listening, I had my fingers on the shoulders of each child. And I would kind of just like playing the piano, do a little syncopated rhythm on their shoulders. And every once in a while, give them a little hug or a squeeze. And every once in a while, look around at them like, you know, surprise, I'm here, peekaboo, that kind of thing. And it allowed them, it helped them to be patient and go through 45 minutes of somebody telling us all about space science, which was a little advanced for them. Now, don't get that me wrong. They loved those pictures and they totally got it. But they weren't quite ready to learn about rocket ships traveling and so on. Although I got to tell you, now that I think about it, my nephew is about to graduate in physics. And I don't know if he's changed his mind or not, but he wants to be an astronaut. Maybe he got a lot more of that space center lecture than I gave him credit for. Okay, so those are the first two things. Targeting animals to keep them from interfering with each other and targeting animals to help them get through challenges, whether it's boredom or fear or uncomfortableness or uncertainty. Now, we also can speak through the quality of our touch. If I need to initiate a new body part target, I'm going to use a special kind of touch. It's going to be the same kind of touch that you use to open a glass stereo door that's got those spring latches. So you make contact with your fingers and then you kind of rock up on the tip of your fingers, springing up off the surface of the animal. And as you press in initially, you're gonna push that animal a little bit off of his center. Then as you spring up, he's gonna flow back into your hand and your job is to say X at the instant that he makes contact and you name the body part. And as I said in our last targeting thing, it can take about one minute to teach a hip or shoulder body target to a very large animal like a giraffe or a hippo or a camel or a rhino. So it's the quality of touch that allows you to initiate those targets. Now there's another way that we modify targets to talk to the animals. And uh, one of those is through pulsing the targets. So often when you're working with animals, you need more than one target. Sometimes you need more than one target to communicate the behavior. And sometimes, okay, let me go back. To 
communicate what the behavior is that you're teaching. But sometimes you need to have two targets in play just to keep the animal alert to what's going on at that moment. So let me see if I can make that clearer. If If I want an animal to rotate around me in a circle, I'm going to have two targets to communicate that behavior. So what would they be? What does every circle have? It has an axis. So I'm going to use gravity if the animal's on dry land. I'm going to use gravity to establish the bottom of the axis and a target either on the top of the animal's head or so their arm or their paw is extended depending on how that animal moves. And then that's going to be the axis. But I need another target that moves the animal around that axis. So that's just two targets used to describe something. What I'm talking about with pulsing is where I'm at the head of the animal, talking to them, feeding them, telling them what's going to happen with the vet who's back at the rear of the animal and about to stick a needle in their flippers or their flukes. So it might take them a while to get that needle together. And maybe the animal forgets that there was a vet back there. Or maybe he's really worried about the vet and he forgets I'm at the front. So what can I do to prevent that problem? Because I need him to be aware of both targets all the time. It's a safety issue as well as uh, relieving uncertainty and just making things go smoothly. So I can pulse both targets. When you pulse targets, I can only think of one place where I would use a symmetrical rhythm, a predictable rhythm. So think of a ping pong ball. You know, it goes ding, 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 ding. Well, what happens if you're going to pulse the muzzle target and the flipper target and you do it in some predictable pattern like that, ding, 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 the animal starts swaying to the rhythm. And next thing you know, they're exaggerating the rhythm. And the next thing you know, you've got the stadium wave going on. Well, that's kind of cute in a stadium, but you don't want it when the vet is trying to get blood out of the back flipper. So what can you do instead? What I do is I use a syncopated rhythm. So it would be like this, well, that's what it would sound like if the touches made sounds. So let's do it again, but I'll make the muzzle flipper have this sound. And I'll make the fluke flipper, the flipper at the, uh, I'm sorry, the target at the back end. So I'm going to establish the muzzle target. Duh. That's the flipper target coming in. Now the vet is moving in. 
And I want that animal to stay in contact, even though the vet's distracting him. So I might go that, 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 that. But you also have to keep him uh, aware of the front target. Okay, so I'm not actually sitting there making sounds, usually. But I am touching pulsing first one target and then the other. And as you can see, there's no predictable rhythm. So it keeps both targets alive and keeps the animal very focused without causing some aberrational rhythm that kind of takes over what we're trying to do. So that's another very important thing. And are there yet more? Yep, I've got two more for you. One is we talked about the quality of a touch enabling us to touch a new uh, body part, create a new body part target. We can also guide an animal uh, on where he needs to go when he can't see a target. So let's say I can see him just fine and I want him to be able to, uh, uh, here's one I use a lot. I want my horse to lift her back. I want her to use those muscles to lift her spine. And she can't necessarily see where I'm placing the target whether I'm placing it right on top of her spine or underneath on her belly, she just can't see them. But if I come in using that special quality of touch that I told you about, and I spring off of the horse's skin, they will tend to rise up after my hand as it springs up. And as they intensify the contact with my hand, I just say, good, that's your spine. Good spine. Now I'm going to do the stomach. So I'm going to pulse into the stomach. And when the horse lets her stomach out a little bit, I'm going to say, good, that's stomach. I'm going to keep refining that until I can just ask for the spine or the stomach and not have to initiate with a, you know, a push in. Uh, like a contact, a target contact to get them to initiate a movement. They're going to be able to initiate a movement um, just by what I tell them once they get used to, you know, once they've learned how to do it. Okay, so the whatever direction you pulse in, the animal will move in the opposite direction. So if I have an animal's tail and I want it to go up, I'll push it down with that special kind of touch. And then as I go up, the tail will come up. If I want it to go right, I do that on the right side. But I'm going to push the tail to the left and then spring off and hope that the animal will then 
move his tail back to the right. So I push to the left and the animal pushes back in an equal and opposite direction. And then finally we do it, same thing, if you're gonna move it down, if you're gonna move around in a circle, if you're gonna get an animal to follow you, if you wanna intensify the contact on the target, these are all places where we can use pulses to get more connection, but we can also use speed, pressure, and direction to tell the animal what direction to go even when he can't see things. So the next one I wanna mention, and this is actually an extra one, and that is touchback targeting. So have you ever needed an animal to target a place on his body that you just simply couldn't give him any landmarks for, okay? So when we collected blood from the vena cava of the little pigs at the University of Maryland, they, the vena cava does, it was what we call a blind stick, a blind stick with a needle, because there are no obvious landmarks to allow you to get in there and collect blood. Excuse me, one second. <coughs> There we go. So we can do something called touchback targeting where I go and I just touch a spot on the animal and I say, can you touch back? And I'll push in the same way I do when I'm gonna start a hip target or any body part target. Can you touch back? And I'll get just a millimeter away from the animal and the animal will usually lean right back into my finger. And I'll bridge them, that's right, good. Can you touch back? And I'll go twice as far away, it's just two molecules away. Not far at all, but it's twice as far as it was the second time. And the animal flows back into my touch until we build up and the animal can walk 10 feet towards my finger. But here's the amazing thing. Because we all have proprioception, once I touch the spot on the animal, he will be able to return that target to my finger, even though neither one of us can say exactly where that body spot is. We can't say exactly where we just touched when we look at the body, but the animal knows exactly. How do I know he knows exactly? Because I have taken a marker and when I start the touch, I'll mark the spot with the marker bounce off the skin, as the animal flows in, he'll bring the dot on his skin right into contact with my finger. That is proof that that animal understands exactly where I touched him. 
So we call this touchback targeting. And oh my gosh, when you get into advanced behaviors, this is so powerful. So you're going to want to do it. And it is a more advanced skill. So stay tuned, right? We'll do more with this. So now that you've done all these different things, and we went from six things to seven things, it's time to leave the animal and let them go back into their exhibit area and relax. So do you just take the targets away? No, you want closure. The animal wants closure. So the first thing we do is tell them, I'm going to leave and we'll do it this way. And as I actually start to leave, I'll pulse in to the animal. I'll intensify my touch in the same way I do when I want to keep the targets live. But here, I'm not asking the animal to stay. I'm asking the animal to terminate our target. Now, when I think about this, I think with surprise that this actually goes against an important thing that I also do, that most exotic animal trainers do. And that is that we wanna keep our leaving unpredictable. Just like you wanna keep the rhythm unpredictable, you want to not leave the same way or at the same time or at the same place in your training every day. You want to mix it up. You want to have different lengths of training time. You want to do different behaviors. We might go in and out, in and out of the training area. So the animal doesn't think that just because we walk out, the training session is over. We might go to the back of the exhibit and throw things to the front of the exhibit or go to the sides. We might bring toys back in with us. We randomize because we don't want the animal to get upset because we're leaving. We want him to just say, oh, she's up to her shenanigans. She may leave, but I'm ready for her to leave at this point. That's a good way to leave an animal. Well, I tell you that I tell the animal that I'm going to leave when I'm actually doing uh, targeting with them. And I've never had a problem. Never had a problem. Sheesh, I'm going to have to think about this and study it more because I'm adamant about randomizing things before I leave. Let's say I go into work with dolphins or otters or beavers, it doesn't matter what, what kind of animal, but before I leave, I'm going to randomize things so that they're not getting upset because I'm about to leave, but I will still tell the animal that I'm going to take the target away and I will pulse the target before I do that. You know what? Maybe the reason that that is not a problem is because we stop and start target so much in a training session. And they already know that it's randomized, even though that final target will give them a little squeeze or a little compression. 
but they're going to get that many times throughout a session. Interesting. And this is important because there are two main ways that animal trainers get injured or killed. And one is when we interfere between two animals that are fighting. And the other one is when we leave. So the art of leaving is a very important skill to master. Hmm. We'll probably talk about that more later too. So there's your seventh issue, closure, or the seventh way that we speak through targets. So just to review again, we tell the animals that you need to stay right here with me so this other animal can work by targeting them away from interfering with the other animal. We tell the animal that we're there to help him get through a challenge or a trigger by targeting him away from you know, the vision of the dogs or the sound of the thunder or whatever. We tell him that it's time to move a body part into contact by using a certain quality of touch in the target. We tell him that he needs to keep live focus on multiple targets by pulsing in between them in an irregular way, not in a rhythmical way. We tell the animal what direction we want them to move to a target, even when they can't see the target, because in the law of physics, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So if I push the animal down, he's going to come up. If I push him to the left, he's going to come to the right, etc. And we tell him how far and how fast we want him to go by the speed and the pressure. So we tell him direction, speed, and pressure through the quality of our touch. Then I talked about how we can talk to even individual muscles or spots on the animal that they cannot see or spots on the animal that have no landmarks. But once we touch them and name them, we could call it eggy. Doesn't have to be elbow, finger, uh, one inch from the vena cava. It can be A, alpha, gamma, AB, whatever you want to call it. You could make any name up for it you want to. And that animal, through its proprioception, can, once you identify a spot on its body, even if he couldn't know where that spot is, if he looked at his own body, the proprioception will help him to bring that exact spot back into contact with you. And I didn't stress this before, so I'll mention it now. We could use touchback targeting, for example, to teach an animal to contract a muscle or to present the um, blood draw site in a particular way, in a consistent way, or to straighten out their spine when we're walking. So the animal's walking right next to you, 
And how many target points does it take to define a line? Two, right? If you have a single target on the animal's spine, it can be rotating around and around and still stay in contact with your finger as you walk forward. Well, that will not be a competition quality heel. What we can do instead is walk with two targets, one on one place on the spine and the second one a little bit further back. And, the, and we can pulse those two targets to remind the dog to stay in contact with both of them as they walk. And they can't spin around if they have to maintain contact with two targets. So now we're going to have a straight walk. It took me about five minutes to correct a wiggly walk of a show dog that was ruining her own career. So that's one of the really useful things with touchback targeting. And we've corrected a lot of show dog position issues using touchback targeting. Anyway, it's useful and we can talk to parts of the animal that he can't see or he can't distinguish you know, in the mirror and I can't distinguish it. Okay, and then finally, we talk to the animal about the fact that we're leaving them, but also we're still connected using a little pulse or a compression of the target. We either squeeze their hand or compress their um, skin before we pop off of them. And that gives them a sense of closure. Okay, so that's seven things that we covered that relate to what and how you can communicate through your targets. The targets are not just, you know, roadmaps that say go here and there and the other place. They have so much more power and depth and richness and how they can be used. Okay, great. Thank you so much for sharing some time with me and drop in the comments if you have um, anything you would like to talk about or hear more about. Also, if you go to the podcast, please look on the top of the page and there'll be a follow button there. And if you would follow us, that would be absolutely great. That helps us a lot. All right. So till next time, have a great day and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Hey fans, are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube that is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Cover. Also give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.